0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we speak with Mr. Nick Bradley, who is an absolute gun when it comes to scaling up. So if you're a business owner or entrepreneur and you're thinking, like, how do I grow a business? How do I scale it? And you want to learn from someone who's done several billion, that's right, $7 billion in growth and exits, then this is the podcast that you want to listen to today. Make sure you grab a pen and paper. And if we can help you, Grow your business into those willies and billies for advertising. Head over to marketingmobile.com.au where we've got your back, we've got you covered. But until then, let's jump into the show. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time.
1: Hey Kim, it's um absolutely a pleasure to be here, mate. Because I live in the UK these days, speaking to another Australian voice uh, feels very like a, a homecoming for me.
0: I know <laughs> the only other way you can get access is by turning on like neighbours or something like that, right over there. And
1: speaking to my folks, And that's about it. But you know, to be frank, this is this is going to be a, a much more interesting <laughs> chat, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. And so, Nick, I always like to start the podcast off the same way every time, which is. If you and I were chatting at a party and I said to you, Nick, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer?
1: Okay, so I'm going to give you exactly what I say, right? I'll do it exactly as I do it. (laughs) So first thing I say is, hi, I'm Nick Bradley. I'm a business growth expert. I work with companies that are performing okay. They're doing all right, but they're not performing to the expectation of the founder. So I work with the founder and the team's to take those companies from good to great.
0: Mm, I love that. And I suppose pretty much every high performance founder probably thinks that their business could always be doing better, right? So I'm sure you've got a good pool of, of people to be working with. But when... Sometimes I find that people, when they hear that term "business growth expert" or they hear someone is a, you know, I don't know if I want to put you in the same category, but a business coach or something like that, and they're like, "Cool, what does that person actually do? Like, what are the levers and things that you look at to pull on to help people go from being good to great? Like, what? Like, break me down a little bit more about what you kind of assess and then help people with."
1: Yeah, I'll I'll definitely definitely get into that. I mean, the there is a secondary thing I say after I do that sort of introduction because I because I agree with you one hundred percent. That what does business growth expert really mean? So normally what I say then is kind of what I've achieved. And this kind of grounds it for people because it's it's a little bit different. So I often then say over the last decade, I've um, built, bought and sold 22 businesses that have sold for a combined valuation of $5.2 billion. And I'm the host of the UK's number one business podcast, which is called Scale Up Your Business. Which has been ranked number one on iTunes and Spotify with just over 200,000 downloads in 130 countries. You could argue that doesn't sound very humble, Nick. But you know, us Australians, we tend to be pretty forthright. But <laughs> the reason I say that after that first piece is because you're right. Everyone can be a what's a business coach these days. Most people want the result. And they want the impact. And that 5.2 billion dollars worth of deals, if you like, or growing scaling to that, is a pretty full-on number. And I can unpack each of those deals. So, so you know, quite frankly, what it comes back to is I've spent 10 years or thereabouts in private equity as a turnaround guy. And I was going into investments that these private equity firms, you know, these, these companies or these investment vehicles that go in and they buy, buy under leveraged businesses and then they want to scale them up and then sell them for, you know, usually a minimum two to three times what they paid. I was the guy, Kim, who would go into those companies and and effectively take them from that position all the way through to an eight to nine figure exit. So what I do now really is I work with people who have got good businesses, as I said, and they're usually quite some substantial. They're usually sort of generating sort of seven figures in revenue as a minimum. But the ambition of the business owner, the founder is to sell that business for eight to nine figures within a three-year window. So that's what I focus on. So I don't just go in there and kick the tires on any type of business. I don't just go in there and fix the marketing or do that. I'm focused on the end game. Um, and the way that we do that, to answer your question, is we focus on six categories, what we call six peaks of valuation. And we assess every business that we go into against those six peaks.
0: I think that, yeah, that's that's such a, a good that you have that clarifier on the end, because these days, you know, it it, it seems like people can almost become a business uh, coach or a business expert by, you know, getting a certificate out of a cereal box. So it uh, it, it seems there are like uh, so many of them are out there and it's it's good to hear someone that's obviously had the success that you've had in doing that and that clarifier I think is great. And, you know, if we actually met at a party, I'd probably spend the rest of the evening picking your brain on growing your podcast <laughs> to number one and try and get all that inside out of you. But I want to make sure this is relevant for all our listeners out there because uh, <laughs> yes they're, they're probably not at well, all. Well, the other, I mean, just to build like, on
1: your comment quickly, you know, and I don't and I like this either, but, Co- coaching, if you call it coaching, right? And I, I tend to stay away from that term a little bit, just for, for about what I'm about to say, is that any man, his dog can be a coach. The, pro- the problem with what's been going on with people losing jobs through kind of you know global pandemics is that everyone kind of recreates themselves as a coach. It's the number one growing job title on LinkedIn by a, a huge margin. And someone said to me, and I hate this as well, but it's funny. Someone said to me the other day that coaching is the new, the new name for the unemployed. So... It kind of doesn't work on a lot of levels so i do like to disassociate myself with that because what i do is very different to any of those things
0: Mm. and so obviously you mentioned you come in and like obviously taking a business from seven figures to eight or nine as a as an exit is not really it's not an easy feat by any stretch of the imagination from from what i could imagine from the outside kind of looking in what if you were to collate all the deals that you've done and all the deals you've probably looked at over the years is there one thing glaringly obvious that you see people when they're trying to scale up, you know, they've gone, look, I want to scale up my business and grow towards an exit or something like that, that they're just doing glaringly wrong. And you're like, hmm. like everyone seems to do this, like a couple of things wrongly when they're trying to grow. Maybe it's from an intra- infrastructure perspective or something like that. Is there anything that you kind of notice as a commonality across, across all of the businesses that's maybe hindering them from that growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is the question. It comes down to one very, very simple answer, and then there's some things I'll unpack as part of that answer. But people who are good at starting businesses, so really classic entrepreneurs, are not necessarily that good at scaling them. And the reason for that is it takes a very different skill set when you transition into what we call scale up, and I'll define that in a second, and it takes a very, very different mindset. And a lot of people ask me, what's the definition of scale-up? And there's different ways of cutting this, but my my favorite way of answering that question is it's the ability to do two things brilliantly, the ability to lead and build teams and to work with process and structure. So two guys in a shed can create Google, but as soon as you know you have to have any more than say 12 to 15 employees in your business then you have to change how you operate and this is this is the the big thing a lot of people struggle with that transition of their identity as a leader and that's where things start to go wrong now that's not to say that the entrepreneur who's great at starting a business can't change how he comes across and leads and all those things to become great at scale up but history will prove that lots of really big businesses that we see out there a lot of times when that business is going through that transition they have to bring other people in sometimes even new ceos who are good at that next part of the journey?
0: I I can probably uh, agree myself because I probably find I hit up against that wall myself as we're trying to grow. We've got you know about twelve people on the team here now, and uh, I can I can see very easily how I could uh, fall into into those uh, trades for sure. Yeah. From your experience seeing people in those positions, if someone is going through that stage in that process, have, have you seen anything to be really effective? Obviously, you can you as you mentioned, like people bringing in team to be able to facilitate that, maybe a new CEO and whatnot. Is there anything that you've seen like, dramatically affect the growth of that leader and, say, for example, CEO or founder, whoever it might be, that you've seen actually help them push through that, whether it be uh, studying, learning, certain mentors, etc., that you've seen help people get through that stage?
1: Yeah and, and there is a bit of a, a bit of a kind of playbook to it which which increases the certainty around success. For the first thing and this is something I, this is a mistake I made many many years ago because I had a pretty full on corporate career worked for news international for a long time under Rupert Murdoch in fact I was reporting to Lachlan Murdoch then I went into a media game overseas, a big business called Getty Images, which was my first private equity gig out of New York. And I, I struggled with asking for help when I had that. I had a pretty good corporate career, but it was always trying to figure it out myself. So the first thing I say is the people who, the entrepreneurs who make the transition, they need to have some level of help, whether that's a coach or a mentor, or, or they need to change the environment that they're changing their peer group first and foremost, you're going to move more quickly if, if you bring in that specialized knowledge and experience. So that's the first piece. The, the second piece is we created, as I mentioned, a structure called the Six Peaks of Value Creation. And that was effectively to, to provide a framework for entrepreneurs to grab onto so that they would have some, some level of precision to be able to make the transition. And it's not rocket science, any of this stuff, Kim, right? But you know, the first part of the Six Peaks, what we call Peak One, is Purpose, Really, that's defined as know where you are today, know the numbers of your business, know kind of how you're performing, know where you want to be. So that may be, as we said before, an eight to nine figure exit in three years, and then know why it matters that you want to take that journey. And you'd be so surprised because that sounds so simple, right? Of course, everyone knows that. The number of times I ask those questions or unpack those questions when working with a client and people go, I've never even thought about this. Or I did think about this at the beginning, but I've forgotten it. And as soon as they reconnect with that, all of a sudden they get a level of energy and a level of again, you know, I'll use the word precision around what needs to happen, and that starts to ignite the business on that next phase of growth.
0: I, as you said, like knowing that people, how much, pe- how many people don't actually look at that because it's it's one of the questions we ask people a lot as well when they come to us, and it's like, cool, they want. You know, for us, they come to us for marketing. They're like, cool, we want more leads. It's like, cool why do you want more leads? Like, I want to grow my business. Why do you want to grow your business? And they're like, to grow it? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like surely we've got to have a better reasoning behind it. Otherwise yeah. it just seems to like keep hitting that that glass ceiling and then bouncing back because they don't have that, that purpose that drives through why they want to get to that, why they want to get to an exit or anything like that. Have, has, there anyone, has there ever been a time where someone's come to you and you go, actually, look, you may want it, but like, you don't have, maybe not what it takes, but it's like your business is not built to be able to do that. And then you've had to maybe even turn away or go, look, I'm, I'm not the person to help you. Is there anything that kind of identifies someone as someone who you go, look, the the business that you have is not structured for scale for you to be able to take it to that level. And what are some of the characteristics that might pop out in those scenarios?
1: Yeah, I mean, the most important thing is that if someone has the ambition to create, as we say, significant value, so much value in a business that someone else wants to acquire it. And that, as I said, is where we play. So if someone has a lifestyle business, in other words, they just want to have a few employees and they want to make six figures, that's not really where we play. There are obviously better people to help in in that area. I just don't think that creates enough certainty, again, around, you know, uh, avoiding disruption. I mean, for me, having scale actually matters, right? It matters for a number of different reasons. So if someone has the ambition to take their business to that sort of level, you know, that sort of, as I said, eight to nine figure exit, certainly a business that's generating seven million, sorry, seven figures of revenue and therefore making decent profit, quite often they won't be structured to scale. So quite often when they first have a conversation with me, I often say they're in plateau, or they don't know what their next move should be. But the important thing to your question is they have the ambition. And what that says to me is they are prepared to do what it takes. They're prepared to listen to advice. They're prepared to do whatever action is required. They're not going to be so arrogant that they think they know what's next. And I applaud that because it's hard to start a business. And most people start a business and they do get stuck along the way. The people who then are aware that they need help at that point are the ones that I can help. Because I know what the playbook needs to be. And the playbook that we work to, it's not what I call overly templated, but the principles fit on any business, any geography, any sector, and, and the stage is the most important bit. And then we can get them to where they need to bet to. I mean, our strike rate of working with businesses with the, those characteristics I just described is exceptionally high. We have one client this year who's tripled their revenue um, through COVID just by applying a better methodology around predictability of revenue flow, which is one of the peaks. And so for me, it's that. I don't work with anybody who doesn't really believe that they can do it. Now, that might be something I can pick out very quickly is making excuses, as being the victim. And I certainly don't work with anyone who's not prepared to try new things and experiment because they have to have that level, again, of awareness to be able to break through.
0: It makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you mentioned the six peaks. Are they in a sequential order? Or if you go into a business, do you go, hey, hang on, I know that peak five, I can literally pull that lever and that's going to like dramatically help us to start off with?
1: I'm conscious that we're teasing everyone here, aren't we? I need need to say what these things are. We're dancing, we're dancing around. (laughs) Okay, so I'll just give you what they are and then I'll explain how, how and why it kind of works, right? So the six peaks are, the first one, as you said, is purpose. The second one is profit. The third one is proposition. The fourth one is predictability. The fifth one is process. And the last one, the sixth one, is arguably the most important when you're going through scale-up is people. So again, none of those six characteristics is going to be rocket science to anybody who's ever read a decent business book. However, what I've done with them is I've applied the best practice characteristics. So what does great look like versus good against those? Think of it like a dimension. And when I think about those exits, that 5.2 billion of of kind of deals, all of the ones that had the the biggest multiples at exits, the ones that kind of almost astounded the founders, had those six peaks in some level of congruence. So the answer to your question is, when I go into a company, I have an assessment that I have people do. It's called the six peaks um, scorecard. And that is around 40 or so questions. And that gives me a very, very good sense of, which of the two two peaks out of the six are really not working. And the way to think of it is finally tune engine, all the cogs, everything needs to work in that engine. And you know, when when one of the things is out, when one of the valves is out and the engine sounds terrible, if you just tweak it a bit and then everything sounds amazing, it's very much like that. So it's not sequential, but each of them need to be to a certain level for that, that engine, that machine to run. And so what I will often do is someone will do the assessment, will come in, we will say, okay, you're not doing very well at predictability of revenue flow. You're not doing very well at leveraging processes and automation. We're going to work on those two peaks and we're going to get them up. So they're level with the other areas. And then what will happen is you'll get a compound effect of everything starting to work. Uh, the other thing that can happen just to be really transparent is as you improve those two areas, you will then have another area that starts to fall away a little bit. So you need to tweak that, but the whole, outcome is over 12 months and that's the minimum that we work with someone we go in for 12 months and we basically strip it back and we rebuild the thing by the end of it you'll have all of those peaks working to an optimum level for a where you're trying to take the business but more importantly the characteristics of the business from a you know what it is the business model etc
0: from all of the people that have done the scorecard what's the two most common you mentioned you look for like the two lowest like is there two where you go they always fit in those two categories.
1: Yeah, it's it's well, the, there's three that jump out actually. So, but it does it does Japan, but but it does depend. But the one that jumps out the most is proposition. So that is effectively: are you clear on the market that you are really operating in? Are you clear that there is a problem that really exists, and do you have a remarkable solution for it? Now, again, it sounds simple, right? When we're talking about it, Kim, but. The problem is this, right? Someone who starts a business, they, they may solve a problem that existed at that point in time. And if we went back maybe two decades, that problem would exist for maybe five years, right? Because the world was moving much slower. These days with technology, that problem that existed a year ago might be obsolete in 12 months time, right? You must see this in some of your clients. So you'll get this fixated entrepreneur who's going, yeah, I'm solving this problem. I'm solving this problem. And I'll go, well, hold on. Is, is it really a problem? Well, oh, yeah, it's, it was a problem three years ago. When was the last time you actually looked again to see if it's a problem? And so we go into that. We go and speak to their customers. We go and do a bit of external validation. And then we come back and say, you know, the problem still exists, but the way that people are wanting to solve that problem has changed. So your product and service, what we call the value proposition and the experience they get needs to change. So that's that's a, that's a great one. Because as soon as you line that up, then all of a sudden, you know, everything else starts to work. And then the second one that people don't get right is predictable revenue. And this is probably the bit that you'd come and play with your company because we, we are so metrics driven in, in what we do and we have precision all the way through the funnel. So we know exactly, and this is, a, I've got seven companies and every one of them is run like this. We know exactly where there is a bottleneck and we have very, very clear uh, ways of measuring all of that. So, so we have uh, a thing called LAPS. So you might have a similar methodology. So it's leads, appointments presentations and sales. And we know on a monthly basis, exactly what numbers need to sit against each of those four characteristics. And then so we can say we we know that we want to close five deals a month. So they're five sort of six figure deals for what we do. And we know exactly how that's going to work. So it becomes extremely, as I said before, predictable. So they're the two that jump out probably the most.
0: I have to say, it's like, especially when when I speak to people, as you say, like it's surprising how many, as you say, like you would think it would be easy for people to be able to identify what they do in a marketplace, who's it for, and how it stands out. But it's surprisingly, like a low number of people that can actually answer that question when it gets to it. So I'm not surprised that that one that one uh, jumps out for you as well. And now taking us down like a slightly different track, and just purely because I would be upset if I didn't ask. What sure. do you put it down to for having your podcast be so highly rated? What do you reckon is the is the key to your podcast success growth?
1: I knew you would want to ask this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, know, a podcast? Okay. I have to ask it. You, know? you have, have to
1: ask, to. ask it, and, and you know, and there is actually there is value here. I think for people listening as well, because I use the podcast as one of my strategies for driving everything in the top of funnel. So I often say, particularly to small and medium businesses, you're missing a massive opportunity right now if you don't have a personal brand or someone who's fronting the business because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And it's much more powerful to be able to create that rapport through a person-to-person connection than it is by trying to necessarily market your business. Effectively, this this is what I've done. First and foremost, my podcast, Scale Up Your Business, is about everything you could think about in terms of business, right? So that's that's the boring piece. Like, you know, every man and his dog can do a business podcast if they've had some level of success probably working in business. But I do two other things. First and foremost, I tell my stories, warts and all. Some of them are difficult sometimes for people to hear as much as they are to say. But I want people to know what the reality is like when you're going through this journey. So I've had some great moments and I've had some really challenging moments both personally professionally and I tell those stories because I want people to get the understanding that entrepreneurship is a roller coaster and you've got to have broad shoulders to be able to do that and not everyone can not everyone's prepared to to do it and the the other thing I do is I blend what I call the emotional state and the mindset that's required in business all the way through because, I'm a big believer that 70 to 80% of business success is how you approach it from your emotions, how you manage your emotional state, and how you manage the way you think about things. And if you have a practice or you have some, some level of kind of goals around your own personal development, back to you know that identity as a leader, you are giving yourself so much more momentum to succeed. And because I talk about that, What's and all stories and again all the different things i've done across everything across that whole startup to scale up to exit model people have gravitated to that because it just comes across in a differentiated way
0: i love that i think that's so important as you say like when it comes to doing it because a lot of people want to start a podcast and it's like cool well as you also number one have to know the purpose of it but you've got to be able to give something that stands out, which is what I, I try my best to do here by just unpacking it, not just being, uh, I do solo episodes where I talk about marketing stuff, but not just being talking about marketing and Facebook ads and whatnot and going, cool, how can we like pull apart what successful people do in their businesses that everyone can do? So that's why I always like to run this podcast as well. And plus, it's a good way to meet awesome people like you, Nick. So you can't uh, <laughs> Well, you know, that's the
1: other. You can't complain. I mean, there's a couple yeah. of other bits just to finish off on that, I think, which will help people. First and foremost, you're right. Having great conversations with fun and interesting people is the gift that you don't realize when you start. And so every conversation I have, be it whether I'm going on someone else's podcast or whether I'm having people on my show, I learn something every time and I connect with someone And I've done, I think now the latest count, I've done five really substantial business deals off the back of meeting on a podcast. I mean, well into six figures. One of them's close to seven figures just off of meeting on a podcast, right? So that's the other thing that people don't say. And the other thing that I've done as well, back to kind of how do you make money from this? How does it become a commercial thing? So I balance it because I I genuinely want to help people. You know, it does make me feel good and, and that helps with my own mental state but I've also managed to be able to turn all that content that I'm doing into a very, very precise machine. So my podcast is populated and repurposed across multiple channels. I have a whole social media plan that sits underneath that where I'm putting out something like 40 to 50 bits of content per week across other channels. And you know, we'll have someone listen to my podcast. They might, sometimes they binge it. They like do a Netflix binge and then they'll get in touch with me and I don't have to pitch what I do they've already made the decision that they want to work with me. So really, it's really just qualifying whether that's going to be a good fit. And that changes the whole game in terms of how you grow your business in the more traditional sense, you know, spending money on advertising. All those things are important. We do those things too, but it's balanced now with this very focused inbound approach.
0: I I wholeheartedly agree. So anytime I've spoken to someone who's listened to the podcast they already think, like, they feel like they're already a friend of yours because they've, you know, probably you say if they binge it and who knows, you've got 80, 100 tons of episodes and if they go for yeah. 20 minutes, half an hour, so, oh man, you've, you've spent like 50 hours listening listening to me. It's like, that you know, there goes, uh, people say it takes 21 touch points or whatever to have a, so if someone listens to you for 20 hours, they're probably safe to say they like you somewhat. So it becomes a much easier conversation. And
1: And you feel great about it. I mean, I get, there are lots of people who it's, as we say, it's very top of funnel, right? It's very broadcast. I get lots of people who reach out and say, you've changed my world. You've changed my business. I did a couple of podcast episodes recently. One was called the power of three, which was all about how you focus more on three things across everything you do. And I did a really personal one, which was called lessons from loss which were when my grandfather and father passed away and what they taught me about business and entrepreneurship. And and those things connect with people, right? And and a lot of the people that, that listen, I, I can't help. They're not really of a level or a stage in their business where I'm going to help them commercially, but I'm helping them just through the content that I'm putting out there. And that feels amazing.
0: 100%. Now, Nick, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like to ask the same question, which sure. is, What's the question that I didn't ask you that I should have?
1: Oh, you know, uh, someone asked me this ages ago. (laughs) And one question you haven't asked me is what my biggest failure is. And the reason I think it's an interesting question, maybe a bit of an obvious question is I think you can learn as much from failure or the perception of failure as you can from success. So we've talked about all the business success, but we haven't talked about that. So there you go. How's that one?
0: Please, fill me in. What's the, what's
1: the biggest oh, problem? That's the problem when I thought about that. Okay, I need to get better <laughs> at this. Bit. Okay, so I'll give I'll give people this because I think this is probably one of the most powerful lessons I had. So I had a bit of a breakdown five or so years ago before I pivoted into what I'm doing now. So as I said, I've got a number of companies and I've got you know a whole heap of really great things going on and I'm hugely grateful for that. But what happened was, and I alluded to it, whereby I I chose a pathway in my early 20s, which was to go into the world of employment. And I chose that pathway because everyone in my family had told me that you have to have a job to be successful. And if you're an entrepreneur, there was too much risk. And if you go down that pathway, you're going to fail. And so the people that I trusted, I, I believe what they said. Interestingly enough, some of the people in their world that were the most successful were more entrepreneurial. But I started my first business when I was 18, sold it when I was 22 as a personal training business back in Adelaide, South Australia and and i kind of gave up on this entrepreneurial spark to go through what was about 15 to 20 years of corporate and i spent those years in massive frustration i was successful because i was bullish and a bit of an ass and really direct but i was a frustrated entrepreneur and it culminated with this breakdown where i was just pushing everything so hard that i was so focused on trying to you know be resentful to what i the choices i'd made that I was showing up as a pretty poor husband and father. And I eventually started getting sacked from all these private equity jobs. had some good successes, but I kept getting sacked because I was effectively telling the chairman to go stuff himself. And anyway, long story short, but the failure of this and the epiphany of this is this. I think we all know what we're meant to do intrinsically. We all feel if we're on the right path. So if you're going through something and you might not be having the greatest amount of success, but you know that you're on the right path, you still feel congruent with your values. And for years, I wasn't doing that. And so my biggest failure was not recognizing that earlier and not, and maybe not trusting myself and believing in myself enough to go down the pathway I'm doing now. The good part of that story is that I, I did find it at an age which was not debilitating. It was in my early 40s. I hazard to think what I would be like if I hadn't been brave enough to face that choice and that decision in my 60s or 70s, because I think that's where you start to look back with regret, because the time may not be there that you had in the beginning. So I I share that with you as a failure, even though obviously it's ended up pretty good, because I think there probably be people listening to this today who are in that boat. They're in a job. They hate it. They're thinking there's no way out. They're probably drinking too much and doing other stuff to repress it. My advice to you is you need to face this head on because actually jumping into that fear might be the best thing you ever do.
0: That's a pretty uh, good and nice way to to wrap things up there. There's a great insight from that as well. As you say, it's it's amazing when you can pick that up early rather than waiting to the times when you look back and and in the future potentially you could have regrets around that. So that's a a good key takeaway for everyone there as well. Now, Nick, if everyone's gone, look, I kind of like this Nick guy and I like what he's about. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online? You obviously mentioned your podcast, which we'll link to. uh, Where's the best place for people to find out more about what you're up to?
1: Yeah. So a, cu- a couple of different things. So a couple of resources for people if they want to do that. So the podcast, obviously, they can find that. It's on all, all the outlets. Just look up Scale Up Your Business and my name. We have a group on Facebook, a community there, which is around two 3,000 at the moment and growing. And it's a really nice. I'm very conscious that I don't make that a spam fest. If people have questions they want to ask the group, then the whole community is helping. But if they want to find me personally, they can come to our website, which is SUYB, so Scale scaleupyourbusiness.global. We even have that Six Peaks scorecard on there. If someone has a business they want to put through the ringer and those questions. And the other place to get me personally is LinkedIn. I tend to hang out on LinkedIn a lot. If people want to send me a message, I always promise to go back to them personally. It takes a bit of time sometimes these days, but people can be patient. Then I will always come back. But that's the best way to, to come and get in contact with me.
0: Beautiful. We will link all to link to all those things. So, guys, wherever you are watching or listening to this either scroll up or down check the show notes and we'll have all of those links there for nick and if you know someone who's going through scale up at the moment or maybe you've been hearing them talk about a few of the things that we've talked about today and they don't know how to get past that please do share this episode with them so that they can find out more about how they can get past those you know those roadblocks and hindrances and figure out ways to get around them as well and hopefully they can also check out some of nick's work too but nick again thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate you making the time
1: no, Kim, it's um absolutely awesome to be on your show, mate. Thank you for having me.
0: Cheers.